0: But this morning we are going to continue on in our series that we've been in called Unstoppable Joy. Uh, we're currently working our way through the book of Philippians uh, week by week. And so the first week we looked at chapter 1 of Philippians and last week we looked at chapter 2. But we're talking about how we can find this true joy in our lives, right? Not, not happiness, because happiness is simply an emotion. Um, but how do we find joy or who is the source Of joy in our lives. In the first week, uh, when we looked at Philippians chapter 1, we talked about learning how to find joy, find our joy in the Lord despite our current circumstances. So, despite what we're walking through, to continue to find joy in our circumstances. And we were looking at the Apostle Paul, right, who wrote the letter Philippians when he was in jail. He's in prison at this time as he's writing this letter. And he's teaching us how to pray. And he's he's simply saying, don't just pray, Lord, please remove this, but Lord, please use this until you choose to remove this type of an idea. So maybe there's a struggle, maybe there's a situation you're walking through right now and you're going, man, this is is terrible, this is awful, I don't know what it is that could come out of this, but just pray, God, please use this until you choose to remove it. There's something you're trying to do and I'm believing for something good to come out of this, right? Because Paul was in prison, as I said, right? And he continued to have the joy of the war. And what happened when we read in the book of Philippians? It said that other prisoners and those who were working in the prison came to know who Jesus was because of the joy that he had despite his circumstances. He didn't allow that to overwhelm him and, and to lose his joy in that situation. Last week when we looked at Philippians 2, we talked about the idea of how we can find unstoppable joy when we completely empty ourselves out. When we empty ourselves out. What? Right? That's that's counter to what culture teaches us today, right? Culture doesn't teach us to empty ourselves out. Culture teaches us, fill yourself up. Fill yourself up. Get what's yours. You've worked hard. Enjoy the spoils of of your labor and, and get everything you can. But Jesus, he set the example for us in scripture of one who totally emptied himself out. He said he he came as a humble servant to empty himself out to those around him for the sake of the gospel. And how you and I are to do the same thing. We are called to empty ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. And through that we will find true joy in our lives. Today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, you can feel free to turn there. We're going to read from it in a little bit. Otherwise it will be on the screen behind me. As always, and this morning we're going to be discussing how unstoppable joy comes from what Jesus has done, not from what you can do yourself. Our joy comes from what Jesus has already done, not from what you and I can do ourselves. So I want to start us off with a story today, and this is a story of of a friend of mine that I know, and it's going to get us headed in the right direction. Uh, But how many of you ever made a mistake, maybe when you are younger? Right? Maybe you, uh, you happened to break something when you were at, your parents were gone. Or, you know. I know for, for us, the five of us, we were super calm, gentle little children. No, we weren't. We had four boys and the youngest a girl. We were wild and we would break things and mom and dad would come home and be like, who broke that? Every, I don't know. Right? Or all five of us point at somebody else. Right? But, so we're going to look at this story here about this idea of kind of making a mistake and then what we do after that. So, like I said, I don't know about you, and this is a story from my friend, but I'm going to read it as if I was an individual. Uh, But when I was a kid, I didn't always listen. Growing up, I always needed to be playing with the ball in the house. I was active. For the most part, I would kick around a soccer ball, making the couch into a makeshift goal. Sometimes I would even make my dog play the goalie. My friend always said, my dog was actually a pretty good goalie. He could stop the ball pretty well. But as I got older, I moved on from playing soccer around the house to playing volleyball inside the house. I would just practice setting the ball against the high wall next to the kitchen. For hours on end, I would do this over and over again. I would just practice setting the ball. I became very good at it. Until one day, I'm setting the ball and I get a little bit too comfortable, a little bit careless. I set it too low and I hit the sign that hung above the entrance to the kitchen. It dropped. It shattered into pieces. It was old and it was unrepairable. Right? How many of you have something in your house that maybe it's a family heirloom or whatever that you're like, if that breaks, it can never be replaced. Right? It has that sentimental value to it. And maybe it's not even, it's just something that's been passed from generation to generation that's unrepairable. And that's what this sign was to my friend's family. And he thought to himself, what did I do? What have I done? He began to freak out. This wasn't just some random sign that his mom had bought from Hobby Lobby and she could simply go and replace with another sign. It wasn't something that was even a gift from their wedding day. It was something that had been passed down for generations. It had a clever statement on it that said, The Lord is cooking. Why? Because their last name was Lord. So it would say, The Lord is cooking, as in like, The mom is cooking, because that was what their family's last name was. And, And the family treasured this so much. Because her dad, who had passed away at that time, had given it to her. And I knew what I had done, the friend said, and I quickly tried to figure out how to fix it. And I started to come up with a few solutions. Three different options. One, I could break a bunch of stuff in the house and make it look like there was a burglary. Right? I I could make it look like somebody else came into the house and did all that. He said, I thought about this one for quite a while. Number two, I could somehow try to recreate the sign and age it in just the right way, which we all know couldn't happen either. There's no way he could recreate it, age it, make it look like it had before. Or number three, I could do so much good around the house that my mom wouldn't notice that the sign was missing. Those were the three options that he came up with. So after spending a lot of time staging a burglary, he actually did that. He went around the house and and he broke some things and he made it look like They've been broken into. And then he realized, you know what, I think my best chance is to actually clean up the house the best I can, do all the good that I can, and hopefully mom won't realize it. Or maybe if she does, she won't be quite as mad because of everything that I've done. So I began to clean everything. I went through the cupboards and I threw away all the expired food. I went through the fridge and did the same thing. I washed the dishes. I emptied the dishwasher. I cleaned the room. I cleaned my room. I cleaned the living room. I cleaned up the dog poop that was in the backyard. I finished my homework and conveniently left it out on the table for her to be able to see it when she came home. I did everything good in the house that I could think of. I did all the things that she'd been begging me to do for years. And just never wanted to. I did all of it at this time. So after a couple of hours of doing this, it eventually got to the point where there was nothing left for me to do. And I just had to wait for her to come home and see what she was going to say. He said, I'll never forget the moment when she came home. It was like as soon as she walked through the door, she knew exactly what had happened without even seeing anything. The second she walked in the front door, she went straight to the kitchen and she noticed there was something that was missing. She asked me what happened, and so I showed her what had happened. She cried, I cried, I was crushed, she was crushed. I felt extremely guilty about what had happened, and then I began to show her everything that I had done, all the good things that I had done. I showed her, I said, I did the dishes, I took care of the old food, I vacuumed the house, I cleaned each of the rooms in the house, I went outside, I picked up the dog poop in the yard. All these things that you've been begging me to do that I've been refusing to do, I did at this moment. But no matter what I did, no matter what she saw, her sign was still broken. Right, The sign still wasn't there. After all the good I did, it didn't make up for the bad that I had done. Now I know that I'm, I'm not the only one here who's ever tried something like this, right? I think my brothers and I, our thing we do is, is one day I remember we accidentally broke a hole in the sheetrock. I don't even remember how. Somehow we put a hole in the sheetrock, probably punching each other, and we punched the wall. And we're like, hey, we've got this great idea. We'll just put a poster in front of it. We made it three or four weeks. And then I don't know what happened. Somebody probably hit the poster, and that broke. And, and so then... All of a sudden they notice, but right, we, we try to do these things sometimes. We make a bad choice or a, a wrong decision and we go, okay, how, how can I fix this situation? I know I can't repair what's been broken, but is there a way that I can do enough good to fix this situation? I hope that none of you have actually thought, maybe I'll stage a burglary because that one's just crazy to think about. But I'm willing to bet that when some of us have screwed up, the first thing we think of is, what can I do good to take care of what I've done wrong? We even see this in the Garden of Eden, right? If you look way back in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve's first response to their sin was what? It was to clothe themselves, right? They, they, they all of a sudden realized that they were naked and they said, we've got to make some outfits to cover ourselves. They, they tried to figure out what can we do to help the situation as if that was going to fix what they had done. Right? They brought sin into the world. I don't think putting a pair of clothes on was going to fix that situation. But every time I think of that moment, I think of how us as humans, we have this natural tendency to do that. To say, I know I've done a wrong, what can I do to fix it? What can I do to help in this situation? How can I right my wrong?" And this is the moment where Paul seems to become frustrated with the church that he loved in Philippi. And I imagine they begin to brag about the good they had done. But this is how Paul responds. So in Philippians chapter 3, the first couple of verses we read about the church. We're going to pick it up at verse 4. This is Paul speaking here. He says, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin... A Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul here is saying that, I I don't know what you're thinking you've done, or how good you've been, So he said, we are not to put our confidence in our flesh. We're not to put our confidence in who we are, because he goes, if that was the case, I have more reason to have confidence in who I am ...than any of the rest of you do. That's kind of what he's saying he's here. We don't know exactly what happened. It doesn't tell us exactly what happened at the church here in Philippi. But Paul is trying to show them that he had, he had a pretty incredible resume, right? So maybe to put it into our terms today, in the 21st century, Paul might sound something like this. Look, I go to church every Sunday. I know every worship song that we sing. I'm the first to stand during an awkward moment of worship when everyone else is sitting down... But they haven't been invited to stand yet. The only rated R movie that I've ever seen is The Passion of Christ. I've completed every reading plan in the YouVersion Bible app twice. I only post Bible verses on my social media. And the list goes on, right? That's kind of what that would look like today of trying to to be that that self-righteous individual who's always trying to to put that, that image out there of what they've done. Of what they've done. Paul spent a large majority of his life trying to be perfect. Trying to be good. Trying to put his confidence in himself. I I have no doubt when you study the life of Paul, he was a perfectionist. Paul was definitely a perfectionist. And, And he spent most of his life trying to become perfect. Trying to find confidence in himself. But instead, listen to how he felt about it once he met Jesus. So before he met Jesus, he was trying to find confidence in himself. This is what he said once he met Jesus, picking up in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I said, I consider all these things that I thought were, were good or that I was finding my confidence, I, I consider them all to be a loss in comparison to knowing who Christ is, has his Lord and Savior. And being found in Him. The very thing that he prided himself in, which was himself before he knew Christ, was the very thing that was pulling him away from who Jesus is. He realized that no matter how hard he tried... He needed someone. And that's the same for you and I. How many times in our life do we go, I don't need somebody else right now. I can handle this on my own. And what happens? More often than not, we fail. More often than not, we stumble and we fall into that, that same trap that we were in before, thinking that we can do it on our own. Paul had that same challenge of realizing, I can't do it on my own. I need someone. And who is that someone? That someone is Jesus. You and I, we need Jesus. But he tried to show us something when it comes to this idea of unstoppable joy. Unstoppable joy is about what Jesus has done, not what you have done. It's about what Jesus has done. That's where our joy comes from, and it's understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for you, what he's doing for you, and what he's going to do for you in the days to come. The joy that Paul experienced after knowing Christ was 100% because of Jesus. It was not because of him. It was not because of others that were around him. His joy was in knowing Christ because of Jesus. Not because of any of the things that he did. So often we buy into the lie that if we're just good people, then we'll have a good life. But Paul says the opposite here. He He says that's not necessarily the case. Just because you live a good life Just because you you do what is expected of you doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy. That life is always going to be everything you've ever wanted it to be. The ultimate question is this. What would you like to be known as? Or as Paul puts it, where would you like to be found? Do you want to be found in Christ? Or do you want to be found in yourself? That's basically what Paul is saying here. Understanding who our joy comes from. Who our identity comes from. Who we're found in. Do you want to be known for the things that you have done? For all the good that you've tried to do? Or do you want to know for being found in Christ? Do you want to just be known for your resume? for, For what you've done? Or do you want to be known as one who is found in Christ? Don't let being good get in the way of knowing goodness himself. Because who is goodness? Goodness is Jesus. So don't let simply trying to act good get in the way of knowing goodness himself. Think about that for a second. In our striving to be good, to do things we think that we're supposed to do, we can miss it. We can miss out on a relationship with the only one who is truly good. The only one who's capable of saving us, right? There's no one else on earth who can save us than through Jesus. There's no one else who's truly good and pure and holy and righteous other than Jesus. I think Paul was essentially reminding us of the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 8, 35 and 36. He said, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Right? What good is it for you to have everything in the world, but yet not to be found in Christ? Right? That stuff will wither away. It will fade away. It has no eternal value to it. But in our relationship with Christ, we know exactly what our eternity holds. I think sometimes we read this scripture, we read this passage, and we think that this only applies to those who are millionaires or those who are, who are uber-blessed in their lives, that own, you know, a couple boats and, and a bunch of cars and those kind of things. The people who seem to have way too much money and spend so much of their time trying to continue to still buy even more things. What if you and I are the people... That want to save our own lives. What if by being good, we are trying to somehow save ourselves? Right? Because we can't save ourselves by our works. Right? We can't save ourselves by simply being good. But sometimes that's what we try to do. We say, I've done a wrong. What do I do to fix the wrong? What can I do? How much good is it going to take... To make up for the wrong that I've done, right? That's what my friend was trying to do, right? He, he had done a wrong and he thought, if I do enough good, maybe we'll take care of the wrong that I've done. And we've all been there. We can all look back in our life and go, you know what, there's moments that I've had that thought of. What do I need to do to make up for what I've just done? How can I become good enough? How do we stop where do we go from here when we think about this idea? Usually this is where I would tell you some things that, that you can try to do this week and be in a practical application. But I'm not going to do that this week. Instead, I'm not giving you something to do. I want to give you someone to be. There's a cool reality that each of us must face as believers. Before God calls you to do, He calls you to be. Before God's going to call you to do anything, he calls us to be a follower of Christ. To be before we do. And oftentimes we can get that mixed up. We want to do before we ever belong or are a part of Jesus and the family of Christ. So it turns out, right? We know that it sounds harsh, but God doesn't need us to do anything. God doesn't technically need anything from you or I. His primary concern isn't how good you can be. Because the reality is, is we aren't good enough. We're not capable enough to do certain things. But that's because he's done them for us. We don't have to try to do all things. Because Jesus has done them. That's the point. Does God call you to live a life of holiness? Yes. God calls us to live a life of holiness, to give our very best, to, to be diligent in all that he asks us to do. To do our best to avoid sin and temptation and falling in the trappings of, of what the devil is trying to do in our lives. Absolutely. Should we adamantly oppose sin in our lives? Yes. But that should never get in the way of God's first calling in our lives. And what is that first calling in our lives? God wants us to be founded in him. First and foremost, God wants to have a relationship with us. His first calling to us is himself. A relationship. Because without being, there is no doing. You have to be before you can do. I hope this week that you can be reminded of that idea. Of how can I not just do, but how can I be a part of the family of Christ? Or how how can I be who God is calling me to be? Well, we can do that by being in His presence this week, right? By spending time in His Word, by spending time in prayer, by spending time like this in fellowship with other believers and being challenged by God's Word. By being reminded of our reliance upon Him. I was recently with some pastors and We were were talking, and having a conversation, and the one kept using the quote. He said, I pray because I'm desperate. I pray because I'm desperate. He said, many people would look at my life and think, you've got it figured out. Your your, your church is doing well. It's growing. You've just built a brand new beautiful building. He said, I know, but I've never stopped praying like I'm desperate. I'm always desperate for God. I'm desperate for more because... He, you know why he does it? Because he knows that he's not good enough. He knows that he's not capable in and of himself to do all that God is wanting to do in and through him. And he says, I'm desperate. Because I know that I need to be before I can ever do. And it challenged me in, in my thinking, in my prayer, like to say, you know what, am I praying like I'm desperate? Or am I praying, uh, you know, just... Because I know I need to be praying. There's a, there's a difference in that mindset right there. Saying, I'm desperate. I know that I need you. Because I know that it's only through you. That you will do the work that you're trying to do. Because again, unstoppable joy is it's about what Jesus has done. And not about what you have done. What he's already done for us. The victory that's already been Provided for us. Pray that you would experience his peace. His goodness. Pray that his unstoppable joy would be evident in your life. Each and every day. That it would radiate through you. Right? How many people know that a a joyful person walks in the room. And it totally changes the whole atmosphere. Right? It totally changes everything. that, That bubbly, joyful personality. My desire is that as a church, as a body that we would become bubbling with the joy of the Lord. That when people walk up to us, whether it's on the street, at work, at home, here in the church, wherever it may be, that people will see a joy that just radiates out of our lives because of who we are in Christ. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are in Christ. Pray that this unstoppable joy would radiate through us. Here's the other thing, and this challenges me too at times. Stop trying to earn it and begin to receive it. Stop trying to earn joy and begin to receive it. Our God is a joyful God. I mean, He wants to give joy in our lives, but oftentimes we're so busy trying to earn it instead of simply receiving it that He has for us. And so this morning, we're going to have a song that's going to play. I want to invite you this morning to come forward. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're going, you know what? This message has made sense of me. It resonates to me. I realize that it's not what I can do anymore. Jesus has already provided it. I need to simply be where Jesus calls me to be. I need to, to be willing to do what it is that he's asking me to do. So instead of, of simply trying to do all that we can in and of ourselves. Being what God has called us to be. I know there are others here this morning as well that are looking and, and believing God for continued healing in their lives. and I know there's all kinds of different situations going on within our different families and in our lives. And so this morning we're going to have a time where we're just going to open up the altars. And believe for God to just break through in some of these situations. Believing that God's hand is going to be upon us. And so myself and a couple of our leaders are going to be up here. And as always, the altars are open. You can feel free to come up here uh, by yourself. You don't have to come to one of our leaders. But this morning, I want you to think about that. Is it time that I stop trying to earn it and simply come before him and receive it? Maybe Maybe that's for you this morning. You've been working so hard trying to earn it, and it's time for you to begin to just receive that. So, Father, we just come before you again, Lord, and we lift up each of these situations, God. We lift up all that we have just prayed for, God, all that has been prayed for by those who are sitting in their seats. God, we know that. God, you hear our cries. You hear them before they ever even leave our mouth. We know the cries of our heart, and Lord, we thank you for that. But God, we've brought a number of things before you, God, asking that you would move in different situations. And Lord, we just pray that you would, God, that you would, you would answer, God, as we know you will, in your perfect way, according to your perfect timing. And so, Lord, we pray that you give us the endurance and the perseverance that we need, Father, to continue to trust in you during these times. God, I pray, Lord, please use this until you choose to remove this. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives and in the lives of our families and the lives of those around us in our community. God, that you're giving us um, the ability to have an influence and an impact on. We thank you for that, Lord. And God, I pray as we go out today, once again this weekend, we would just be reminded again of who you are and what you have done already the victory that's been provided, the work that you've already done in going upon the cross and raising from the dead. And that, God, it's not in what we can do, but it's in who we are in you. That's truly what's important. Always understanding that it's who we become, not what we do. And so, Lord, we thank you for this day and this opportunity as we go out now. Father, we pray you'd give us confidence and a boldness to go forward with your word, God, to be a witness and a light and a testimony to those around us, Father, that we may be the hands and feet of Jesus to chisholm the Iron Range and around the world. Be with us now as we go out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.